Welcome to the Launch Hour podcast. Hi, it's Eva and Jane, co-founders of LaunchPop. This podcast takes you behind the scenes of entrepreneurship in the e-commerce and CPG space. Let's do it. On this episode, I want to introduce to everyone Jake from Outer. Jake, when did we meet? And also tell us more about your business. Like, how did it all start? Definitely pre-pandemic, so time is fuzzy. I want to say 2019 when I was just getting started. Actually, before I even know, must have been 2018 because I was literally just getting started. This was before Shark Tank, before I took money from Makur, right? You guys were working at Makur. You know what? I remember you getting with Will and you, uh-huh. that was when you, you were like raising, you were asking Mucker for money. You guys witnessed, I think, the birth of Outer and all of that. I think we met in 2018. Yeah. So it's five years ago at the very least. What is Outer? Outer is a premium outdoor living brand based in Santa Monica that I co-founded with my co-founder, Terry, five years ago. <laughs> Our vision is to build the category-defining brand for outdoor living, starting with outdoor furniture, but then we're going to innovate around the entire outdoor living space, you know, outside the four walls of your home. It's been historically been launched as DTC model, our website, liveouter.com. And we also built this pretty fun program where we turn our customers' backyards into our showrooms. So it's called Neighborhood Showroom, currently in over a thousand locations in the U.S., where you can type in wherever you live and then find a nearby outer customer to go experience the product in person before you purchase. It's been a wild five years, a wild, 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 wild ride. I remember when this concept first came about, literally no one's done this before. The showroom, and you even mentioned to me as like a Airbnb of showrooms. Airbnb of retail, yeah, yeah. What did you like go to market test that idea out? What did you do? (laughs) First of all, you know, Probably your audience should know that outer, the furniture that we make are very premium. We use the best materials out there. It's all eco-friendly and a lot of the materials are proprietary. So it's a premium product, right? Our average order value is about $6,000. So it's right between like Pottery Barn and RH for the people who, you know, the furniture retailer brands here in the U.S. For such a considered investment and purchase, my theory was that people probably want to go see it, you know, before they pull the trigger on a website from a brand that they've never heard from about, right? And so it was really out of necessity that I thought, you know, a showroom is necessary. And we didn't have the money to build retail showrooms. And I thought that was pretty risky. That's one side. The other side is that I just don't think the traditional furniture shopping experience is good, right? Like going to a stuffy showroom and talking with a cheap salesperson and especially for outdoor furniture which has not seen, you know, a drop of rain or a ray of sunshine. Like it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel authentic. You know, it's not a good representation of how the product can do in the real outdoor environment. So that's the second reason. And the third reason was because I'm an avid, I was an avid Airbnb host and customer, right? And so I thought it was a really innovative model. And, and it, it also coincided with this, I guess this, this back in 2018, Coincided with this wave of like death of retail is what people were chanting. Yeah, this is before COVID, obviously. And, you know, Macy's were shutting down and like a lot of these like department stores are just not doing well. And so uh, press really love to write about it. Like, oh, look, Airbnb for retail or death of retail, retail 3.0. So it really kind of give us the, the 
the spotlight as well as we innovate on a different way of distributing retail. And so it's those forces that really coincided that that kind of forced the, the creation of neighborhood showroom. Does that still exist today? We are in, like I said, a thousand locations countrywide. We're not intentionally growing that footprint anymore, but it's still organically growing. And it works really well as in we convert almost like 40, 50% of visitors to actual purchasers. And what's more wow. fascinating than that is it's becoming a true community. I mean, the word community has been thrown around by a lot of brands, but I mean, just long story short, like we've had friendships, business relationships, and even romantic relationships that were that wow. were formed due to visiting a offline showroom. You know, I love that so much. You guys up. should create a blog about matches that happen from these showrooms. <laughs> okay, it's no one has many matches that you can count like two in the, in, the, in the history, but but I mean, I guess my point is, you know, it's pretty powerful when you go and it's not pressure, right? We don't we don't incentivize. We call them hosts, just like Airbnb. You would call them hosts. They they bought the furniture, right? They put money where their mouth is. We don't give them any free stuff. Like they buy it, they believe in the product. They go through the process of like putting their pictures up, their profile, everything, onboarding, right? And then uh, you only pay them a flat fee. It doesn't matter if the visitor buys or not. We pay them a flat fee. And so when you visit as a potential customer, you're not, you're not like being, it's not like Amway or Mary Kay or Tupperware. It's like you're not forced to buy, right? Like they don't get paid more or less because you buy or not. You can literally show up and turn around and, leave the, the house and we'll still pay them all the same. And so they're trying to create this really authentic, like you're just hosting a neighbor or a friend or whatever. And then, you know, we pay you, we compensate you a little bit for your time and your space. But, you know, and honestly, that's not what people do it for anyway. Like, well, like I said, people do it because they need to kind of like showcase their outdoor space, kind of like showing off a little bit, right? But also meet people. And it's really just taps into this like evangelical, spirit of like when you like a brand you just want to talk to your friend and even strangers about it right and so i think we really kind of caught that spirit so yeah it's been working wonderfully for us amazing it's awesome well that's what's working tell us some stories of stuff that didn't work in your journey of building outer everyone knows it as like the darling startup of la honestly like when you talk about outer it's like yeah people know it as like the success story but i'm sure like there's it was a shit show, you know, where were there some moments where it felt like you just wanted to like give up? Yeah. And I, I say this with like all seriousness, but because it's my second startup, I've never got to a point where like I want to give up on it yet. But there are definitely a lot of moments of challenge, obviously, right? It's, I mean, it's a physical goods product. It's very difficult supply chain, you know, for people who don't know, I mean, even unlike furniture, you know, furniture, you can find supply chain manufacturing globally, even in the U.S., even locally in L.A., right? But outdoor furniture is challenging because we use synthetic materials like plastics and special wood, like teak, that's only grown in Indonesia, for example, right? And so it, it, it's a lot harder to, to basically work with the supply chain. It's all overseas. Most of it is in Asia. Most of it is in China, right? And some, it's a labor force that can handcraft and hand weave the wicker rattan and all of that. So that was really hard to get started. Thankfully, I do have a, a cousin who has been in patio manufacturing for a decade. And so he got us started. He got, he pointed us in the right way, but 
it was really hard for us in the beginning because we were, my co-founder were pretty stubborn in not using some of these, let's say, monopol- monopolistic brands out there, like uh, fabric brands that have, you know, these really great performance characteristics, uh, water resistant and all that, but they are monopoly, right? Like you have to go to them, they're really expensive, like $50 a yard. And just so you know, like a chair typically take like two to three yards of fabrics to create. So even cost to me, like the, the, the creator alone is like $150 on just fabrics. You don't, you, you know, that's not factoring the frame, the, the manufacturing, the labor, the shipping and all that, right? So for any high quality upper furniture, you can't cut corners. And that's the truth of basically, you know, if you go to Ikea or like any of the mass market cheaper options, most likely they're going to fall apart within the first three months or first season of use, probably at most the first year. And they just become dilapidated. Or anything that's like that can last for years, you 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 have to use these materials. So that was extremely challenging. And and I've never done anything, you know, supply chain heavy. You know, I've, I come from a software enterprise SaaS you know, data. It's like the opposite of ETC, consumer physical goods. <laughs> you know, like it's the polar opposite of that. And so getting started was pretty challenging, but really in hindsight, it was a naivete. And I guess that's, you know, every, every entrepreneurship story starts that way. It's like, if I had known, maybe I wouldn't have done it, but. But yeah, that that was probably the first boulder that we had to overcome. I mean, there are many, many more supply chain logistics, like the COVID surge and like now with the recession, like housing market cracks, like the huge up and downs of the macro market in addition to the huge ups and downs of just starting a new startup. And it's compounded oscillation of just instability. That's been really challenging too, right? So we can go into any of that if you want, but. That's definitely big been a huge ups and downs, yeah. Yeah. So five years of all all of this highs and lows, what have you done to cope with your mental health? So like I said, this is the second business I'm building. So the first one was also huge ups and downs. You know, I would that for a period of maybe four to six months, I was actually depressed, you know, in that, in that first business. I had a founder fallout and you know, so I felt like I've already stared death in its eyes and I came really close to the rock bottom. And so this time around, I think, you know, despite the huge swings and it's a different scale, it's a different game, right? We've, we've raised quite, quite a bit of venture capital and we've hired up to a hundred people. And so it's the, the stake at hand is bigger, right? Compared to my previous startup. But even though it's bigger scale, I feel like Mentally speaking, I'm more prepared this time around. So even in the darkest moments, right, when the containers were stuck at the port and we can't do anything to unload them, and I had to call 400 angry customers personally to apologize and try to save the orders. And, and the good news is I think we only had like seven cancellations out of the 400 after we called. You know, even I had to go through this riff, you know, with my team. And that was probably the, the hardest moment that's probably come close to the depression and I felt like a failure and despite making so much money I can't even save you know my my team's jobs and I think I've remained at the end of the day you know pretty level-headed this time around I mean I do meditation I mean that's cliche but I do think it does really help I, mean, I just use call you know mind space call 10 minutes a day that's really helped me and then this time around I you know we just had this conversation before the recording but like now I have two 
two kids. My kids are my source of joy. And sometimes they can take me not out of the, the, the vortex, right? Of just getting all involved. Like, okay, my life's not all about the business. You know, that's not all me. I'm also a father. I'm also a husband and I'm also a friend. And so that's brought a level of, of like perspective that's helped me to navigate the up and downs as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's like also just you getting older and us having the emotional maturity to regulate ourselves whenever we do feel like that self-awareness of something coming, whether that's depression or anxiety and being able to take us out of that situation. I think that honestly just comes with time. You know, like there's so many founders that want to start companies and they're so young, you know, and like you probably started your first company when you're really young. For the founders out there that are wanting to start their company, what would your advice be, especially in like the D2C space slash CPG space? I'm developing this thesis that, you know, like, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say DTC brand, right? Because to me, DTC is a channel. I still believe that to this day. And it's a really good channel to get started, to get awareness, right? But it's not the end all be all. But I just want to speak to like creating a consumer brand, let's say, right? Like, but independent of like whatever channel that it goes, we'll say all we call DTC, whatever, B2B, even B2B2C. I think a brand is a true representation of the founder or the co-founder's values. And it's such a microcosm of what you believe in, what your values are. And it's, it's almost like an expression of your values, right? I don't think there's a right way of building a brand. I think every brand is different. But when I look at the brands that I look up to, the Nikes, the Little Lemons, the Patagonias, even the Teslas and the Apples, right? When I mentioned those brands, you would immediately think of the founder, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Yvonne Trunard, Bill Knight. I think they're kind of inseparable. And so if that's the case, to me, building a brand is almost like, a, it's, it's truly a lifelong pursuit. And I, I raised venture capital and the venture capital cycle is such that you have to generate some return, show some return within a short, relatively time frame within five to eight years. But I really think starting a brand is quite the commitment and no one can convince you to do it and no one can convince you not to do it. You just want to do it because it's your self-expression. And that's how I truly feel about Outer. And I think to even a bigger degree to, to, to Terry, I can tell you that when, when I started, and, you know, Terry came from a pretty impressive design background, you know, RISD, IDEO, and French design at Pottery Barn, you know, consulted for Casper, some of the highest, most famous DTC startups. He joined me because, and he's a little bit older than me. And he, he says, this stage of my career, I would do this only if meetings can realize my value of building a platform for, for pop-ups change for the world in the sense of like driving for uh, eco-friendliness and environmental consciousness, right? At the time when I met him, his daughter was three, Piper, five years ago, so she's eight now. You know, he tells the story of just, the, he's in San Francisco of, of walking the beaches, the, the beach in, in the outer sunset. And, you know, Piper, his daughter would pick up a seashell and say, you know, is this animal going extinct? Or pick up a plastic bag and it's like, how many sea turtles this thing going to kill? I think kids nowadays are really aware of like the pollution and the environmental impact that we have on earth. And so to Terry, you know, his lifelong mission is like, you know, just creating it like in 30 years, he can look her daughter in the eyes and say like, you know, I've done my part to try to change the course or like, you know, for a better future for your generation and, and beyond. And so that's what's motivating to him. And that's why even to this day, you know, 
of the fabrics that we use, we could have gone with the easier solution. That's like really durable. It can last forever outside, but it's like your breath. And it's a, it's a lot costlier and it's a lot riskier to develop fabric that is as performant, but also eco friendly right? So it kind of really translates to everything that we do. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm probably like going beyond what you asked, but like, I think it's important to find the thing and the true passion of what you believe in and really ask yourself, is this what you want to dedicate at least the next 10 years of your life into doing mm-hmm. uh, before you start a consumer brand? Yeah, it's interesting because like, the commitment of a 10-year span plus, you know, like this idea of like a brand is a vehicle for self-expression, right? It's it's really crazy because you as a person develop over time, your beliefs shape and change. And so the brand will shape and change too. So it's true sure. how like alive it is, right? And if you do it well and you're true to yourself, then you know, that community starts building, which is actually what is happening with Outer. It's beautiful. Yeah. But then I guess, like, how do you make sure there's that balance of, like, making sure that your full identity and your worth is not your company and vice versa? Exercising that and making sure that you have the maturity to be able to to do that is important, too. Uh, Totally. And that goes back to what we talked about, right? I, I, I do agree with you, Jane, that, you know, it does come with just time, you know, it's like the wisdom that you just kind of all the mistakes that you make, all the relationships that you build. And, you know, I think just shapes you. I, I call it emotional callus, right? Can just kind of expand that level of pressure and the, the swings. And yeah, thinking back to when I first started, you know, building my first company 10 years ago, I'm definitely a very different entrepreneur. And uh, yeah, it's, it's important to have that third person view is how I kind of call it sometimes. Just kind of, sometimes you have to step out to view it objectively. But then own, you know, the the values brand. Yeah. Amazing. So let's wrap this up with just like one more question. Tell everyone what do you enjoy about what you do? Well, cool about being an entrepreneur and why be a consumer founder, like why build a company? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I would be lying if I say I don't enjoy what I do, despite the challenges. I think, you know, first of all, I signed up to do it myself. Like, I can't blame anyone. To me, you know, self-expression is important. To build something that hopefully can outlast me and outlive me is, you know, alluring to me. The idea of just building a generational brand, you know, that my kids and my grandkids will be proud of one day. What I love about startup is I get to pick who I work with. That's important to me. If I work for a business, a company, I don't have the privilege of doing that. And so I really enjoy working with every single one on my team, you know, my exec team, my, my greater team. That's really awesome. The day to days of just working with a group of missionaries who truly believe in what we're doing, despite how crazy the vision might sound. And, you know, that the, the, the camaraderie that's built, you know, despite the, the going through the ups and downs, winning and losing together, I think those relationships are I define the, the purpose of life like a series of relationships, right? And so it's relationship with your family, your spouse, your kids, but also your friends and colleagues. And we spend so and much yourself. time. And yourself. And yourself. Your relationship. Yeah. Our <laughs> discovery, you know? And I think a huge part of that is your colleagues. You spend so much time working. And I think that the thing about startups is, yeah, you get to choose who those people are. And so that to me is what's cool about building a startup. 
Yeah. And what's really interesting is I know that the time is like ticking, but the first person we interviewed was actually CSUN, who is the founder of Morning Recovery More Labs. And his background was actually in software and he went into the consumer brand space. And one of the reasons why he left as a CEO is because he just felt like it wasn't naturally something that he wanted to do. He was such a software guy. Love his self-expression. Yeah. And what we're talking about right now. And it's interesting because your story is you started off as a software guy. But you know what? I think internally you're truly like an artist because like you, you I'm creative because you truly want to express yourself. I'm a Pisces and I'm told I'm more emotional, like more sensitive and like more artistic. So maybe that's it. Yeah. I think you're, you, I think you're onto something. I am. I'm a Pisces too. I'm emotional as fuck. I find. Yeah. <laughs> So like Eva gets along with both of us, you know, like. There's an artist in both of you, a creative artist needed to fulfill. It's almost interesting too, because you make it seem so romantic starting a company and growing it. It's like this romantic lifelong journey with like yourself creative and self-expression. And I think it's, it's funny coming from someone who's raised like multi-million dollars in venture capital and like super analytical. But at the end and of the I'm day, a programmer like, I, I trade. I got a degree in computer engineering and I'm a like gamer and all of that. So yeah. Yeah, cool. but I think that's like definitely the creative side of you that's coming out to the world. So cool. And explore that more. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe. Hey, <laughs> some art next time. <laughs> you don't want to see me draw or paint. Although I, I do I'm a former musician, you know. I play the saxophone. I love music and stuff. But yeah, anything visual. <laughs> That's why we have a really good creative director and a CFO, you know, too. For sure. and, and my co-founder, obviously, who's like a great designer, right? Like that's all their thing. But I can appreciate their work. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Jake, thank you so much for joining us thank for you. lunch hour. Hope, you know, you had a lot of fun here chatting. Yeah. yeah, just like chatting with friends. Yeah. And- Really appreciate the time and look forward to hanging out in person.